The stats on people feeling like they have no place to belong in culture, in society, are growing. If I were to ask you, how many of you have ever been in a situation where you feel like you've never belonged? Yeah, or you didn't fit in to a group that you suddenly were thrown into. A study done in 2018 shows that 46% of Americans actually don't just feel like they don't belong, they don't feel like they fit in anywhere, they feel isolated. 46%. Cigna, who is a health insurer, uh, did a study in 2018 called the Loneliness Index. And in this stat, they rated you on being a lonely person from 1 to 80. So if you got 80, you were terribly lonely. All right? And if you got one, you like, were around people all the time. The greatest generation, you could probably guess this, if you were 72 or older, you were the least lonely people. You had a score of 38.6 out of 80. Now that's pretty high, that's almost half. But that is, the, that is the least lonely generation. It gets worse from there. Millennials, that's ages 23 to 37. So if you're 37, you just eke in as a millennial. You come in second with a loneliness score of 45.3 out of 80. And if you're a Generation Z, that's 18 to 22 years old, you score a loneliness rating of 48.3 out of 80, which means you are the loneliest generation on the planet. Today, only 27% of people feel like they actually fit into a group or a community. And listen to this one, 98% of teenage girls feel like they have to change something about themselves in order to be accepted by others. 98%. There's a movie that came out a couple of years ago, (laughs) more than a couple of years ago, 2004. That wasn't a couple of years ago. That was a long time ago, a whole generation ago. This movie that came out in 2004 was called The Terminal, had starred Tom Hanks in it. You remember this movie? This movie was about a guy that ended up in an airport. He had no place that he could go, no place that he could fly to because his citizenship had been revoked. Now, you may or may not know this, but this movie was based on a true story. And the true story was about a guy named Mirhan Nasseri. He was an Iranian citizen. He'd been expelled from his native country of Iran with no documentation and no papers. They kicked him out. He went to Paris, France on a plane with a one-way ticket. He was not allowed back, and he had no papers and no documentation, which meant he could not leave the airport in Paris. He was a man without a country. France would not let him in, so they sent him to England, because the French and the English love each other so much. So they sent him to England. He was denied entry there, so they sent him back. He attempted to find a place in Belgium. They gave him pseudo-papers to get him out of the airport. So he went to Belgium where he actually had his documents that were not real documents stolen. They sent him back to France, and he finally returned to the airport in 1988. And starting from then, he lived in Terminal 1 in the French airport for 11 years. Finally, the incredible happened. After 11 years, the French authorities presented Nasseri with an international travel card and a residency permit so he could go anywhere he wanted to go. But interestingly enough, when they handed him his walking papers so they could leave the airport, what do you think he did? He stayed. He wouldn't leave. 
He was scared to walk out the door for what would happen. And he just simply lived in Terminal 11. He washed himself in the toilets, in the, or in the bathrooms, and used the toilets there in the terminal. And all he did all day was sit right in his diary. So he went right back to writing in his diary, afraid to leave his bench and his table for 11 years. It took several days, but finally they were able to coax him out of the airport and ultimately ended up being a French citizen. Isn't that a sad story? Can I tell you something? When you believe in Jesus Christ, when you come to know Christ as your Savior, you make a decision to belong to another country. You make a decision to belong to another family. You make a decision to be welcomed in to another community altogether. And you will discover a different purpose than you've ever known. This is what's on Peter's mind when he writes to these stragglers of Christians all throughout Eastern Europe, and he says to them, even though you may not fit in your community or may not fit in with the values of your cities that you're in, understand you are citizens of a greater country. You belong somewhere else. You have a new identity And interestingly enough, the people that he's writing to in Eastern Europe happen to all live in various cities in what is now Turkey, which is in the news today, right? This is what he writes to them in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. They're struggling in Turkey these days with uh, who's a citizen and who's not a citizen and who's not ever going to be a citizen. These are the people that these Christians living in these areas are the people that Peter is writing to. And he says to them, I love these verses, so I'm going to pick them right out and start with these. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. If you have your Bibles, turn there. If you want to read it up on the screen, it's up there. Listen to this. But you, I love that. You live among a people that don't feel like they fit in. We do stats on them. They feel lonely. They feel like there's no community that they can belong to, especially if they have to change something about themselves to fit in. But you, you are different. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is Christians, believers, followers of Jesus Christ, this is who you are now that you belong to God. Peter backtracks, and we're going to pick up actually a couple of verses before this so that we can get the full impact of verses 9 and 10. Let's start back in verse 4. Peter backs up and tells them where their journey began. As you come to him, verse 4, 1 Peter 2, a living stone rejected by men, in the, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You are making a counter-cultural decision to follow a convicted felon. Jesus Christ was convicted of a crime that he did not commit, and he was hung on a cross to die because of that crime. You are choosing to follow that individual. It's a countercultural decision. This person that you're choosing to follow has been rejected by every human being. You don't crucify people that you love. You crucify people you don't like. You crucify people you hate. 
Jesus Christ was rejected by men, killed on a cross. He knew what it was like to be alone. He understood what it was like to not belong. He understood what rejection meant. Rejection. Ever been rejected? Jesus Christ knew what it meant to be rejected. He came as the Son of God proclaiming that He was the very essence of God in human flesh. The way to the Father. And He was completely rejected. He understood what that was like. I love the fact also that He was rejected by men, but in the sight of God He was... The opposite of rejection is chosen. When I was a kid, I was telling uh, Karis this week, I was sharing a story of when we used to play hockey in the streets. Uh, we, we would, uh, you know, you remember those say, car, get off the street. That was me every single day. We would walk out on the street. We would put the, put the nets down. Usually we just had like little rocks uh, and, we w- and we would play hockey. And then uh, before any of that happened, you had to have teams so all the kids in the neighborhood would gather and they'd walk over and they'd stand on the curb and we'd say, okay, Jimmy and Sam, are, they're going to be captains. Everybody else stands up on the curb. So Jimmy and Sammy, they would stand out and they would start picking people and they'd pick Alex and they'd pick Jeff and they'd pick Chris and they'd pick all these names. And you want to know who always got picked last? Me. I was the shortest, I was the smallest, I know that's hard to believe right now, but I was the shortest, the scrawniest, the smallest kid that was there. And every day they picked teams, I always hoped I'd at least come in second last. (laughs) I always came in last. That's rejection. And it's like, oh, okay. And it usually went like this, well, Craig's left, you can have him. So they put me in nets. I was a good, you know, I'd stop the ball if I'm not running away from it. Rejection is one of the hardest things we deal with in life because it is the opposite of being chosen. And you have to understand, Jesus understands that because Jesus was the very essence of God, the very revelation of the Father. He was rejected by men, but ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, who was He chosen by? In the sight of God, he was chosen and he was precious. Peter's about to walk us down a path that you guys, this message could really change your life. Because he's about to compare our rejection to the way that Jesus was rejected. And the fact that we, when we're believers, we are not only chosen by God, but we are precious, just like Jesus Christ himself. Let's go on. Verse 5, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We come to Him. He is the living stone. And now you yourselves, us as believers, followers of Jesus, we are also like living stones being built together into a what, church? We are built together into a what? A spiritual house. You take these stones and you build a house. God is building a house out of all of us chosen but rejected by men, people. It doesn't feel good to be rejected. And I need to tell you one thing. Your new identity in Jesus Christ is that you belong to Him. You are chosen. You are a chosen people. That is your new identity. 
It does not feel good to be rejected. But we need to be reminded as believers, God chose you. You are precious in His sight. And that means that in the spiritual house that God is building, namely all of this this church that exists around the world and these local churches like this one, we are being built up as spiritual stones into into these local churches that express who Jesus Christ is in our community. We are the local expression of the house of God. And so you as a Christian, you are a spiritual stone being put into place. You have a place to belong, a place to serve. There is no rejection in the church because if God chose you, you have a place to serve in His house. Everybody here has a place to serve in God's house. Everybody's been gifted in one way or another. And you must be using your gifts because they're all essential. In God's house, there's no stone that is useless. In God's house, every stone is essential. Every stone has a purpose. This church is filled with individuals who are gifted individually. And you may say to yourself, well, Craig, I'm not gifted. I I can't do what you do. (laughs) Well, count yourself fortunate in some ways. (laughs) But you can do what you can do. And maybe I can't. Every person is important in the church, and that's made clear in First First uh, Corinthians twelve, verse four. Actually, verse uh, chapter twelve in First Corinthians is all about everybody and how they fit into the churches, these local churches. But here's a passage I want to pull out for you, verse four to seven. Now, these there are a variety of gifts. Everybody is gifted differently. There's varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. That's the Spirit of God who gifts us all. And there are varieties of service. Everybody serves in different ways but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities. Everybody does different things. But it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given a manifestation of, of the Spirit. For what purpose, church? For the what? Do you know what the common good means? It means that whatever gifts God has given you to serve with in the church is meant to bless your church. The common good. When I, when I got a hold of this principle, it, it rocked my world a little bit because I always thought like my gifts in the church were good, but I could really use them in the community. But God gifts Christians especially. He calls them, he chooses them, he puts them into local churches, and he gifts them so that those gifts can primarily be used to bless that church. It is for the common good. Now, if you doubt that, I encourage you to read the whole chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, because it is awesome. It talks about how the elbows are important, and the eyes are important, and the knees are important, and everybody's important because we all work together like a body that functions together. I mean, what do you really need an appendix for? But the appendix is there for some reason. We'll find out in like 50 or 100 years. Oh, that's what the appendix was for. We shouldn't have taken all those appendixes out, right? It's there for some reason. The little toe, right? You can't stand up. You don't get a little toe. But it's a pain to cut the toenail off that little toe, isn't it? There's little pieces to our bodies that we're thinking to ourselves, that's not really important. But they're all essential because they make the body work correctly. And I want to encourage you, church, you are here as a part of Village Church East because you are meant to use your gifts so that this body can be blessed. It's for the common good. Some of you do such a great job in serving. I don't really need to park on that very long. But if you don't, if you don't have a place where you can serve here yet, 
Talk to somebody today. Talk to me today. I got, I got a list. I can give you a place where you can start serving the common good. We all benefit from one another. And, and the purpose, the purpose of all of this is, is, look at this. It's interesting. You're built into a spiritual house to be a, what does it say there? To be a what? A holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices. Well, I'm not going to cut up a lamb in front of you and burn it. So what does that mean? And none of these exiles are going to priests who are cutting up animals, bulls and goats and stuff like that. That's all. That's not, they're not doing that. So what is he talking about when he says to us and to them, we are built into a priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. What is the primary job of a priest? The primary job of a priest is to help other people worship. Park on that for just a second. Worship is the primary purpose of a priest. Priests don't get to watch other people worship. Priests help other people worship. Nobody gets to sit in. If if you're in the household of God, you are a priest, which means that there's no sidelining, watching, cheering, pointing out issues, faults. You are meant to be the priest that helps other people worship. Worship always is active. It's never passive, and it always requires something from you. It always requires something. Priests in the Old Testament had to be very careful how they did their sacrifices. There's entire books in the Old Testament about how priests are supposed to sacrifice correctly. They had to purify themselves. They had to wear certain robes. They had to not wear certain things. They had to wear certain headdresses. They had to wash them certain certain amount of times per day in order to get to the place where they could worship. It's incredible. The book of Leviticus, Leviticus is full of how worship is properly done. Priests inform those who don't know how to approach God how they should approach God. And you know what we do? Very much the same thing. Even though we don't wear robes and you know, pomegranates on the bottom of our, of our, uh, of our, of our uh, tunics, we don't put the bells on, we don't, do, we don't put the phylacteries on, we don't do all of that stuff. But what we do is very similar. We worship God. We come to Him with praise, honor, adoration, and prayers. We come to God with the attitude that we are actively going to be involved with worship. That's why we sing, by the way, every Sunday morning. It's not to fill in time or make you feel good or anything. We are giving you an opportunity to do what priests do. We worship God. That's why we leave the doors open as much as we can when we're we're not competing with a speaker across the hall. Because we want people to know here we're worshiping God. We want to help other people worship God. And you want to know something? There are people that line the hallways almost every Sunday that I see mouthing the words of the songs that we sing in here. We help people worship Jesus Christ. That's what we do as priests. And by the way, priests are men and women. Did you know that? So if you're a woman and you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're a priest. If you're a man and you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're a priest. Isn't that awesome? You don't, have to, you don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to get a degree to hang on your wall. You're a priest because God declares you holy. And we are, according to this, we are to be a holy priesthood and offer spiritual sacrifices. The greatest sacrifice of all comes 
through the sacrifice of blood. And that is why every Sunday at this church, we proclaim Jesus Christ. Because we are priests, meant to help other people know, what understand what real worship is about. And real worship is only possible because Jesus' blood makes it possible. So we pour out our praise. With the breath in our lungs, we pour out our praise. Verse 6, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. These words again, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. If you believe in Jesus, you belong to another community. You belong to the community of people who believe in Jesus Christ. Every community has a shared identity. If you decide that you want to join a community, it is because you have something in common with that community. A shared identity in some way. No matter where you were born, you have some identity as a human being in this world. Some might say that your identity revolves around certain unchangeable characteristics about you. We live in a world that says your identity is found in certain unchangeable characteristics about you. And so they, they're confused about identity, so they say, what are certain unchangeable characteristics about you that make up your identity? And they center around race. They center around sexuality. They center around country, citizenship, where you were born. We live in a world that says your identity is in all these different things because there are certain unchangeable characteristics about you that make you unique. In a world which drives us to identify with some group or belief system, they constantly take us back to this idea of identity. They say, who do you identify with? You know these words, right? And we live in a world that says you need to identify with people who are unique like you, been born in this country, are of a certain race, have a certain kind of sexuality, a certain pull in some sexual area. And if they can get you to believe that your identity is found in these unchangeable characteristics about yourself, they can bring you into their community and then you have to become what that community tells you to become. It all centers around identity. That's why we call them identity politics. Because when a politician wants to get elected, they go to this group or this group or this group. They want to go to the group that that group of people all identify with. And politicians will change the way that they speak based on whoever they're speaking to. Because they want to make their identity connect with that group's identity. And all they want is vote. They do not want to identify with that group. They want to get that vote. And I want to tell you, it's not just in politics. It's across the spectrum of human living. The world in which we live drives us to identify with some group or belief system. And for many people, ultimately, they have to identify with groups that will eventually let them down. Listen. Uh, This is going to rock your world, I know, because it's right where we live. But Peter is challenging our identity. 
we have, Peter says, a better identity than what the world can offer us. We have an identity as a citizen, not of this world, not of this community, not of this way of thinking. We have an identity that centers around being citizens of another country, citizens of the kingdom of God. Our shared identity, you want to know what our shared identity is as Christians? We have a passionate, unyielding surrender to worship Jesus Christ. Our identity is found in the fact that we cannot go without proclaiming who Jesus is. That's our new identity in God. It is our highest priority. Now keep in mind, we do not abandon our lesser identities. You are looking at a Canadian citizen. I like being a Canadian citizen, even though Justin Trudeau doesn't always make me very happy, but I like being a Canadian citizen. You are, like most of you, American citizens. We identify with different groups in our lives throughout our lives. It doesn't mean that it takes away from that identity, uh, that identity um, um, forum. It, but it, what it means is we have a greater identity, a higher priority identity, our truest identity. And that is the one that is found of highest value for us and for the Christian. That is the worship of Jesus Christ. It's okay for me to have multiple identities as long as I'm clear-headed about what my priority, my, my biggest my most important identity is. You read through this passage of Scripture, and it's amazing how pertinent it is to where we're at today. Do you know how to destroy a church fastest? Well, probably take down the pastor and get him involved in something bad, but I think one of the greatest ways to destroy a church fastest is to get the people confused as to what their true identity really is. Churches, if they proclaim anything other than your identity is primarily and foremost your relationship with Jesus Christ, your worship of Jesus Christ, if they can move another identity up above that identity, you will destroy the fabric of that church. You will begin to fragment that church into pieces and groups and individuals that will begin to fight with one another or demand that other people see life the way that they see it. Make some other identity more important than your identity in Jesus Christ and you will destroy a local church. Mainline denominations are crumbling right now before our eyes because they've made their personal identity greater than their identity in Jesus Christ. Race, nationality, sexual preference, whatever it is. If you make that primary over your, relation, your, your identity in Jesus Christ, you will fragment a church because you'll begin making that church be built on something that it's not meant to be built on. The more you believe that your identity is fragmented, the more you will devalue your identity in Jesus Christ. Just like in culture, it's the same thing. When you diverge from who you really are, you will create tension. You see it on the news every day. In the church, if we diverge from this, we will create tension in the church. Our identity in Jesus defines our true identity. And when we don't hold to that first place, we introduce tension and confusion in the gospel story. And let me just say this. 
This is not about being lucky you were born in America. This is not about being, being fortunate that you were born white or black or, or whatever race you want to insert here. The kingdom of God has nothing to do with being lucky you were born any certain way so that you fit into some certain identity. The nature of being a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, is the fact that anybody, <laughs> anybody can become a citizen of the kingdom of God. There are no qualifications. You do not have to talk a certain way, look a certain way, be born in a certain area. All people are welcome into this identity. That's what makes this so amazing. We're, we're a privileged people, not an entitled people. And if you want to worship God truest, in the truest form, you come before Him with that kind of an attitude. I'm not entitled to this. I'm just privileged that God chose me. Anyone can be born as a follower of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Again, you have this idea that Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected. This building idea comes into play for Peter in, in a lot of different ways. And one of the ways that I love about this most is that Peter was the one that heard Jesus' whole spiel on building a house on sand and building a house on rock. You remember that Sermon on the Mount bit that Jesus did? There are two houses you can build on. You can build your house, your life. You can build your house on sand or you can build it on a rock. And Jesus said, if you build it on the rock, I am that rock. You never give in to humanity's shifting sand. This rock that God chose is precious in God's eyes. Over and over and over again, Peter reminds us, Jesus is this precious stone that we build our lives upon, we build our church upon. Peter has to be remembering this moment when Jesus changed his name. Do you remember Jesus changed Peter's name from Simon to Peter? Do you know what? Let me tell you the story. Jesus says to Peter, after he changes his name, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, who do you say that I am? Do you remember the story? And Peter said in Matthew 16, 16, Peter said, you are the Christ, that's the Messiah, the one sent from God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's a confession of Jesus as his Lord. That's what that is. And Jesus looks at Peter and goes, blessed are you, Peter. I mean, God has revealed this to you. Yay, congratulations. Let's clap and pat you on the back. Way to go, Peter. But in a typical Jewish way of teaching, Jesus goes on to make a play on Peter's name. He wanted Peter to remember this moment. And this is the same Peter that wrote in 1 Peter, this Jesus is the cornerstone the builders rejected. Peter's name meant stone. That's what it was changed into from Simon to stone. And then he made a connection. Jesus made a connection to Peter's name. He says, and I tell you, listen, listen, listen to this. I tell you, Peter, you are Peter. You are Petra. That's rock. You are Peter. You are Petros. That was his official name. Jesus said, I tell you, you are Petros, Peter. And on this rock, Petra. Petra is the word for rock. See the play on Peter's name? You are Petros, and on this Petra, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Catholic Church has this verse terribly, terribly, 
wrong. This verse doesn't say that Peter is the cornerstone of the church. That's heresy. This verse is a play on words that Jesus is looking at Peter going, Peter, I'm leaving you to take care of the sheep in my church. The church is not built on you, it's built on me. I'm the chief cornerstone. But you are a rock that I'm going to use. You are Petra. I'm sorry, you are Petros, but I am Petra. I am the rock that the church is going to be built upon. That's what he's saying in this passage of Scripture. That's why Jesus over and over and over again used the same illustration. Over and over, Jesus says, refers to himself as a rock. In Matthew 21, this couple, couple chapters later, Jesus said to them, 21:42, Have you never read in the Scriptures the stone that the builders rejected? Sound familiar, church? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in our eyes. This is an Old Testament passage that Jesus pulls out in order to refer to not Peter, but who? Himself. Have you ever read in the Scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected, you are going to reject me, you are rejecting me, I am going to become the cornerstone, and this is all the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in His eyes. And he goes on further in verse 43, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. You reject the cornerstone. And it will be given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. And the one it falls on, anyone, it will crush him. The community that Jesus builds was going to be expanded. It was going to grow. Anyone who would receive Jesus Christ as Savior would be welcomed in. Why? Because the Jews rejected him. And so now the doors are open for anyone to come in. This cornerstone is going to be the cornerstone of an amazing building. Jesus Christ is a cornerstone. And all kinds of stones are going to be built on that cornerstone to build up the church of Jesus Christ. And it's not just for the Jews. It's for the Gentiles as well. Do you know why the Jews rejected Jesus Christ? It's so sad. Do you know why they rejected him? He didn't fit their identity. The Jews were chosen by God. Jesus was a bastard born of two people not married. Jesus was human. There's no way Jesus was the, cho- the, the one Christ sent from God. Messiah was going to be flesh and blood. Messiah was going to be something different. And so you know what the Jews did? They rejected Jesus because he didn't fit their identity mold. Their identity profile. And Jesus said, if you reject me, anyone who comes to me, their life will be broken to pieces and they will be made new. But anyone who does not come to me, that rock will land on and it will destroy them. And the truth about Jesus being the cornerstone sent from God will, will be salvation to some and judgment to others. And so church, we are not an exclusive club. We are a rock of truth where people from around the globe gather for one glorified moment of serving one true God through their generation. And that is Jesus Christ alone. Back to 1 Peter, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined 
to do. His own people, uh, John says it in John 1, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But who all that did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. So Christian, I'm here to tell you, your identity rests in who you worship. It rests in how you acknowledge Jesus Christ. That is your first, foremost, primary identity. Those who should have recognized Jesus didn't. And so the door's open for every tribe and nation to come and be a part of And that's who we are. Anyone who receives the truth of God belongs to this community. You've been taken off the old track, the track for, for destruction, and put on the new track, the track that was altered to lead to eternal life. That's why in verse 9, I love it. This is a verse we started with. This is where we are again. But you are a chosen race. If I were to ask you what race you are, I wonder what you would say after this message. What race am I? Well, I'm the human race. But I am the race that belongs to God. I'm God's people. (laughs) That is my primary identity as a citizen of heaven. You are a chosen You are a new race of people. Your identity is officially and completely changed. Church, your new identity has nothing to do with the color of your skin. Your new identity has nothing to do with your sexual preference. Your new identity has nothing to do with where you were born. Your new identity has nothing to do with who your parents were. Your new identity solely rests in who Jesus is and who you regularly proclaim him to be. Your new identity is founded on Jesus Christ. You belong to Jesus' church. Your inheritance comes out of Jesus' family now. (laughs) You are God's people. Paul was so enthralled with this that he wrote very similar to this. In Ephesians 2 and verse 19, he says, Paul says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but now you are fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the what, church? Cornerstone. Cornerstone. In whom the whole structure, does this sound familiar? Being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And Peter takes it even further than this from just being a simple house where all these blocks and stones are put together and built on the chief cornerstone Jesus Christ Peter takes it even further and he says you are not only a new race you are a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his own possession how would you like for it if you were an orphan on the streets and the king comes along and says you're going to be mine now takes you into his castle you have a you have a warm bed to sleep in you have beautiful food that that you can eat everybody is at your hand and feet for beckoning. You can do whatever you want. You got the nicest clothes. You got new friends. You don't have to hang out in the streets anymore. We can't even identify with that. But for us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, that is your identity. You are a child of a king. You are chosen by God. (laughs) You are a royal priesthood. You are a nation that God loves. When you accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and you follow Him, you belong. You have a place where you fit. You don't have to to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Jesus did all that already on the cross. 
you now belong to a family and you have a place to belong. You're not stuck in a terminal, in an airport, with no citizenship and nowhere to go. When you accept Jesus Christ, you belong. You're God's possession, God's people, God's priests. Your primary allegiance no longer belongs to a country established by fallen human beings on this crumbling planet. You belong to God. And God has a country prepared for you. You have a new place, and Jesus is preparing that for you too. You have a citizenship in another kingdom apart from this world. That's why, that's why, that's why Rome hated these Christians, because they could not get them to know Caesar was God. Every citizen of Rome had to believe that Caesar had a connection with God. And the citizens of heaven, real citizens of heaven, the Christians, were going, no, we, we don't have any God we, uh, on this planet. We serve the one true and living God. And Caesar's not it. That's why no church should conflate allegiance to a country over allegiance to the kingdom of God. That is our first primary and foremost allegiance. It is to God, our king, to our country, the kingdom of God. Why is all this important for us today? Well, the so what's are actually going to be so that's today because it's right in Scripture. In the next verse, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Which brings me to my first so what, and that is this. We need to tell better stories as the people of God about Jesus Christ. Uh, we've been put on this planet to make a difference for Jesus. We, we've been left here after accepting Christ as our Savior so that we can tell a better story about Jesus Christ. That's why we've been rescued from our endless, pointless stay in an airport hangar. God chose you to make Jesus known. We're put into this community to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ. I just ask you a question. How do you proclaim the excellencies of somebody? If you were to proclaim the excellencies of Craig, for instance, you would go to Catalina's Facebook page. She has the excellencies of Craig Jarvis all over her Facebook page. So that's just a little illustration for you. Thank you, Catalina, for all those shout-outs. I got yours this past week. She's so wonderful that way. Seriously, if you were to proclaim the excellence of someone, what would, it, what would it look like? Have you ever read Psalm 148, 149, and 150? If you haven't, you should. Because you know what those chapters do? Those chapters proclaim the excellencies of God. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him from the mountaintops. Praise Him from the trees. Praise Him from the depths. Praise Him, all you peoples of the land. Praise Him, all you animals, all you skies, all you seas. Praise the Lord. It proclaims the excellencies of God in powerful ways. First time I ever heard David Platt speak, he was at a conference. Never heard of this guy before. Before he did his most famous first book, Radical. He actually, if you don't know who David Platt is, this doesn't matter to you, but he's a, he, he was a young guy at the time, it was several years ago, and he was invited to speak at this conference. And he got up, and I was waiting to hear what he had to say. And when he got up, he stood behind the podium, and he didn't say a thing. 
all he did was he started quoting Psalm 148, Psalm 149, and Psalm 150 from memory. And I don't even know what he was doing when he did it. It was like, this sounds really familiar. I think I've heard this before. But he said it was such passion and such exuberance and such feeling that it was like he was saying it himself, like he bought into it, hook, line, and sinker. When you listen to him, it was like, holy cow, I know what he's doing. He's proclaiming the excellencies of God. And church, our job is to tell a better story about Jesus Christ. We don't come into church and just kind of hum and haw around. We come into church with a passion that we are going to sing. We're going we're to tell other people about the, the truth of who Jesus is and how he's rescued us and how we belong to the king now. Orphans left in the streets now invited to be children of the living God. We need to tell a better story of Jesus Christ. Do you know how people figure out how great Jesus is? The way you talk about him. That's how they'll know how great he is. Number two, we need to tell a better story as a people of God about the church. That is his people. The job of the priest is to help others learn about who we worship and the power of worship and the potential of worship. All these priests were called to do this one purpose so that other people could see Jesus Christ. They took all of the people of God and taught them how to worship correctly. And God chose us to make Jesus known. God chose you to make Jesus known. The priest explained all the facets of worship. Now, here's why I'm taking out the belly, and here's why I'm taking out these entrails, and here's why I'm burning these entrails, and here's why we're getting rid of this piece of the goat, and here's why we're keeping this piece of the goat. He taught people why they did what they did in worship. And church, our job is to tell people a better, get them to understand better what real church is about. We're not just another community they can join like all the other communities in their lives. We are the people of God gathered for one purpose, and that is to praise Jesus Christ on a regular basis. And where do we do that best? Sunday morning, baby, that's where we do that best. Because the rest of the week is filled with such junk in our lives. I don't know about you, but I need the release valve to go, go off, and I need a minute, even when I can come out of the hallway and just sing a little bit and remind myself why it's important for me to identify with this community. This community helps me be better. It's where I serve. It's where I love God. It's where I sing. It's where I, it's where I hug you and ask you about your day. It's where I get to be God's eyes and His ears and His hands to somebody else for the common good. It's not just enough to be different. That's why Peter goes on in verse 3 to say, let your hearts honor Christ as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. You say that you have hope, your neighbor comes to you and says, why are you different? Why do you have hope? You need to be able to give them an answer. Tell a better picture. Tell a better story about why you belong to this community. Why you belong to the church of Jesus Christ. You know the best way of doing that for a church? best way of doing that is Shazam. Right there. That's the best way we do it. When we baptize somebody in church, you know what that is? That is a big, loud megaphone saying that this person is identifying, in this case, Adriel. I didn't ask your permission to throw it up there, but you look so good in that t-shirt. I thought it would be all right. This is the best way for us to take a megaphone to our lips and declare, we follow Jesus Christ. 
We identify with him in his life, his burial, his death, his going underwater, and his resurrection. In every way, when we get baptized, we are declaring we belong to the people who identify with Jesus Christ. It is our greatest identity. If you've never been baptized, you're in for a, a real big treat. I'd encourage you to talk to me afterwards, and I can get you in our next baptism class, which is coming up, actually. And we'd love to sign you up for that, because baptism is the greatest way of expressing your identity in Jesus Christ. Last one. Last verse. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. I love this because it brings me to number three. In a world desperately looking for identity, there are really only two. Church, in a world that is desperately looking for identity, there's really only two. And it's not black and white. And it's not heterosexual and homosexual. Or whatever sexuality in between. There are really only two identities. It is, are you a follower of Jesus Christ or not? Peter says it this way, once you were not a people, but now you are, say it with me church, because it's just beautiful to hear. Now you are, you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now, now, say it with me, church, now you have received mercy. There are only two groups of people you can identify with. Those who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ and belong to his kingdom, and those who don't or have yet to believe. When you come to Christ, you are a new creature, a new citizen. You have a new home, a new destiny, a new king, a new boss, a new life, and new family members. Old things are passed away. Church, all things are new. As Christians, we only have one job. Everything we do, everything we say, everything we allocate money towards, everything we put on our calendar, everything reflects our commitment to this one job. Will we make Jesus known? And everything excellent about him. And so I would ask you, how do you identify yourselves? I wonder what changes we would make in our lives if we considered our identity in Jesus Christ our truest and primary identity. Like getting lost in a foreign airline terminal, our world forces us too many times to form our identities on shifting sand. Jesus gives you something far more solid to build your identity upon. I am a child of God. I belong to Jesus Christ, and that is my true identity. I once was not a people, but now I have people. I once was lost, but now found. I once was blind, but now it's all what I was and who Christ has made me into. I may be rejected by the world, but I'm chosen by God. And I'll tell you, I think I got the better deal. This is my true identity in this world. This is the identity I cherish most when the wet sand crumbles and this life expires. Listen, when the sand castle falls, and it will, your truest identity in Jesus Christ will be the thing that you hang on to the most. I've said it way too many beds where people are expiring and the sand is crumbling around them and I am there to remind them you know Jesus Christ 
your life is built on a rock. This body may fail you, but your soul is God's. And that is a citizenship that can never change. That's your true identity. I am a child of God. I belong to Jesus Christ. That's who Craig Jarvis is. Is this a hard one to receive? Ever wonder why we don't have an American flag in church? We belong to one kingdom, and it's not in this world. All people are welcome in, even Canadians. Even Justin Trudeau, should he ever wash himself off and yeah, come, come down here. But we belong to Jesus Christ. I want to introduce you to the, our time of communion just, just by taking you to that last verse that we just talked about. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I don't know how that felt on your heart. But I want to tell you, when I was studying this this week, um, I get the privilege of really sinking my teeth in, like spending a lot of time in it. I'm so grateful for that. But that verse landed on me like stone. I needed to be reminded of the fact that I, I didn't have mercy at one point in my life. But now I receive more mercy than I can possibly stand. And it's all because of Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you at this point, we do communion to finish up our service because we want to make sure that you hear the gospel message one more time loud and clear. The juice that you drink represents the blood of Jesus that was shed to cover your sins. The bread that we eat, these little crackers, represent the body that was pierced through with nails so Jesus' body could hang on a tree, on a cross. We eat the bread and we drink the juice as a reminder to us of what it took for us to be right with God the Father. And you know what it took? It took the death of Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life and he died a sinless death so that our sins could be forgiven. But it's even better than that. When Jesus died on the cross, not only were our sins forgiven, and by the way, it's not just past sins, it's present sins and future sins. Because you, like me, are a bit of a loser, and in a week from now, you're going to do some things you wish you didn't do. Tomorrow. Today. You need to know all of that is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's all been taken care of. God's not surprised that you're a loser a week from now because he knows you very, very well. But it's even better than that because not only is your sin forgiven, you get to put on the righteousness of a sinless God. So that when God the Father looks at you, he can call you a priest. Better yet, he can call you a saint. You don't have to do a miracle to be a saint. Not according to Scripture. Might be according to man, but not according to Scripture. If you know Jesus as your Savior, your sins, gone, and better yet, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, on you. So when you go to God, when the sand falls, when your time here elapses, and you stand before God, God will look at you not as a sinner, but as a saint 
which means God looks at you as a son, as a daughter. You become the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. And you may go to God and you may say, God, i got to tell you all the things I'm really sorry for. I really dropped the ball and I was a bit of a moron and I wasn't nice to Jimmy and I did all these things really bad in my life. And God will say, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about right now. You look righteous to me. I don't know about you, but that blows me away. When you take the blood, the juice, which represents the blood, the cracker that represents the body, that's what we celebrate. Sin's gone, replaced by Jesus' own righteousness. So maybe we just need to take a minute before we do this and give God thanks. Because we once were people that didn't even belong and we had no mercy, but we have been given mercy galore. We're going to pass these out. I think most people are familiar with how we do things. If you don't, then we want you to participate with us. If you know Jesus as your Savior, take the cup, take, take the bread. Don't eat. Hang on to it. Pass it along. Stand. Sing with us. I'm going to come up. And we're going to eat and drink together. The reason we do that is because I'm as much of a challenge to God as you are. And so we eat and drink together because we, do, we want to declare together how grateful we are that we are people who now receive mercy. So wait for me to come up. I'll read a passage of Scripture, and then we'll eat and drink together. Would you just take a minute before we do any of that and maybe give God thanks for all that He has done for us? So God, I just want to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ. I hope that I've done that so far. It's really a privilege that, uh, that you would use this fallen human being to do such a high, honorable thing. So Father, I just want to say thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the Son of God that gave his life so that I could be forgiven. Thank you that he lived a sinless life every day. A life that pleased you because I can't. And that he was crucified because he was a stone rejected by people who should have known better. He didn't belong. He was abused. He was despised by men and rejected. He was crucified on a tree, a cross, naked, shamed in front of his friends, his own mother. All of that because I needed a place. I needed rescue. I needed to belong. And so, Father, forgive me for ever conflating what my greatest allegiance, where it lies. Because, Lord, it's messages like this that remind me my greatest allegiance is to Jesus Christ. So I proclaim the excellencies of him who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. I proclaim the excellencies of him who gave me mercy because I don't deserve any. I proclaim the excellencies of the one true and living God in front of all these folks. And God, 
if it be according to your will, many more to come. Because he alone is worthy of all praise and honor, adoration, thanksgiving, glory, all praise to Jesus Christ. It's in his name we even pray. Amen.